This is CliffCentral.com. Income Australia again. Punch after punch, they land at the breakdown. Hooper, one of the major reasons. He finds Foley. Foley to Adam Ashley Cooper. He's got Matt Gitto outside. Gives it to Gitto. And Gitto to round it off. Australia have dumped the host out of the competition. This is a World Cup dream come true for them. A nightmare for Chris Robshaw in England. A nightmare indeed. Chris Robshaw, England, Stuart Lancaster, pretty much anyone in, involved with the uh, the Red Roses of England. Wow. I'd like to say it was a shock, but I don't think it really, really was. So welcome to the next edition of Rugby Central right here with me, Ben Karpinski. It was an amazing weekend of rugby at the Rugby World Cup 2015, and you are at the right place to catch up on all of it. So to get straight into it, England are gone. But hey, <laughs> the show obviously, obviously, obviously goes on, but it does dish up a huge amount of interesting topics for us to cover this week, including financial implications of the English loss. We've got that, of course, now the group group A, the group of death, how it's going to play out, and all the other groups and what's happening with the certain teams. I've got two really great guests to help me along with all these topics today. We've got uh, Skulk Yonker, who used to be the rugby writer for SA Rugby, sorry, SA Sports Illustrated magazine. Skulk's one of my one of my favorite rugby characters in that he's um he's a very knowledgeable and very, very insightful individual who's kind of interviewed a whole host of people and uh he's just he's got a way with words that I think we should all be exposed to more often. So Skulk's gonna be our guest around eleven twenty five and then I've got Matt Rowley from uh well I'm not gonna give away too much in the intro, but he is an Australianist and uh, he writes about rugby over there in Australia. And, of course, he will be in very high spirits, seeing his team is suddenly the team to watch in the World Cup. So he'll be joining us around 11.35 to kind of go through the aspects of this Aussie team. Now, you know, being in the top five in the world consistently, having some really good players, you'd think the Aussies are always going to stake a pretty strong claim in the tournament. But after that dismantling of England, the biggest ever victory for Australia over England at Twickenham, Wow, it's uh, yeah, it's actually quite a lot to take stock of. So we're going to get an expert and help help us out there. So we've got that. We've also got to look at all the fixtures for the rest of this week. Of course, it is the pivotal final round of the pool stages in the Rugby World Cup. But first, let's get into the results that did take place from Friday onwards. New Zealand, they took on Georgia. Many expecting that one to be one-way traffic and a huge score. And New Zealand to kind of really hit their straps. They've had, um, well, let's just say they've got the easier pool. They had a very tough game against Argentina. And then from there, well, their opponents were going to be always the also-rans, you know, the minnow guys. They've got Namibia, Tonga, and Georgia in their pool. They were decent against Namibia. Namibia kind of slowed that game down to kind of, you know, save that scoreline. And then Georgia, very spirited. They beat Tonga, of course, in their first match. The final score there, 43-10. Georgia were doing pretty well at one stage. I think it was only 12-10 after they scored a pretty fortuitous try. So good on the Georgians. It must have been an amazing honor for them to play against the All Blacks. And um, All Blacks, you know, the the spirit of this World Cup has been fantastic throughout. And you saw in that game how the All Blacks were praising the Georgians for their fighting spirit. And the game... It really was a good contest. Then we had Samoa versus Japan. That was the first game on Saturday. Now, these are, of course, teams in South Africa's pool, Pool B. And, uh, wow, what a turnaround that was. You would have thought that Samoa was going to do a whole lot better in this tournament. Okay, We 
drilled them, of course. We all know that one. Then uh, they beat USA kind of narrowly when you think. It was almost a flattering scoreline in the end. And then they got absolutely hammered on the weekend by Japan, 26-5. That is just being outplayed on a whole different level when you think these teams are pretty evenly matched. You think world rankings, abilities, past results, all that kind of stuff. A 21-point results margin there. Good on you, Japan. It looks like uh, Eddie Jones, again, just flexing his um, amazing coaching muscle. Although that does sound quite horrible. Anyway, so we'll get into the permutations of what that result means for Pool B in the last, last section of the show. But Japan, well, they're still not out of it. Um, I'm saying that in more than just a mathematical and uh, kind of semi-patronizing way. South Africa, they went on to beat Scotland 34-16. Now, it was a decent result. And we'll touch on more on this with Skulk. We'll get into the actual ins and outs of the Bok performance. But the important thing is here that they're going from strength to strength. Of course, that Japan lost straight away, has scarred many, many South Africans. And it could have really re-scarred the whole Bok campaign when you think about it. But to go do so well against Samoa and then back it up with a very good performance against Scotland... 34-16, it could have been a lot more. Uh, there was a sort of the 50-70 to 70 minute margin where the box went a bit quiet. Three tries to one, though. And, of course, Scotland getting a pretty lucky intercept try when the box could have scored seven in the other direction. So, yeah, the box could have done a lot better, but let's just look at what's really important here, the fact that they're getting rid of these opponents and they're getting closer and closer to the knockout stages and doing so in a strong position. We just talked about that England result, 13-33. Bernard Foley, game of his life. He scored all but five of those points, so he scored 28. And uh, I had no idea he was that good. So we're going to chat to Matt about the fact that it was just a once-in-a-lifetime game for him. Or is he just coming good at the right time? Argentina, now here's a team that aren't really getting a whole bunch of headlines when you think of it. Um, you know, obviously, people are focusing on the big teams and the real title contenders. Argentina, after pushing the All Blacks pretty, pretty far in that first-round match of theirs, well, they're just being been devastating ever since. They've got such a great mix of a strong forward pack and exciting backs. Their their wings in particular, if you just watch those guys, they are creating tries, they're scoring tries, they're always in the play. Argentina are becoming a real threat in my mind, and they blew away the Tongans 45-16, which then brings us on to the final match of the weekend, which was Ireland versus Italy. Now, Ireland, if you look at the way that their fixtures are structured, they have an absolute dream run in this tournament. They start with the easiest games, and they work up into the harder ones. Italy was their first real test. Uh, Italy, of course, had to win this one to try and stay in the playoffs, but that was never going to really happen. Although, come game day, 16-9, 1-6-9, uh, Ireland finally won this one. And Italy, if they took their chances, wow, it could very much be in a different sort of um, outcome. The Irish were reduced to 14 men with the last 10 minutes to go of the game. But sadly for Italy, they they got now. So it does tee up what we all predicted that final match between Ireland and France to decide who is going to play the All Blacks and who won't. I know that the actual outcome of that match is see who tops Bill D, but everyone is talking about this, uh, who's going to face the All Blacks in the quarterfinals. So those are the results on the weekend. Um, I do want to touch on the fact that the All Blacks are still really, really untested. Now, just to kind of get our intro going here. When you look at the pools, Australia, of course, have had a very tough one. South Africa have been tested as well. Look at Ireland. They're going to get very tested now along with France. But if you look at the All Blacks, outside of the Argentina game, which is well, a couple of weeks ago now, they're not, you're not really getting much of a test. You know, you're trying a few combinations here and there, but for actual pressure game situations, they're not really getting it. So they're going to go into the, into these quarters, obviously being unbeaten, obviously topping their pool, obviously scoring a lot of points. But then they're going to come up against either France or Ireland. Now, straight away, on Northern Hemisphere conditions, 
that is a very, very tough game when you haven't really perhaps had the test you've really, really wanted. So New Zealand are going to be very mindful of that. You know, like I said, they're going to play Tonga now in their final game against the Minnows. What they can take out of the pool stages? Well, I'm not entirely sure. I think um, first and foremost, get get through it without any major injury scares. And obviously, secondly, you've got to then try it through combinations. But I've got to tell you, I think out of all the teams going into the quarters, um, it wouldn't be a miss to say that they'll be the most nervous out of all the sides. If you look at all the other ones, they either get expected to be there or they're just going to ride their luck as long as they can. So England are out. Now, what does this mean? Well, firstly, it means that they've had the wrong game for quite some time now. There's been so many different stories and so many different things in the aftermath of that loss. And of course, England being England, their press are ruthless. They're absolutely ruthless. But the press themselves were talking this English team up to be a real title contender going into this. Obviously, home ground advantage, the Twickenham effect. Twickenham, the fortress of Twickenham, if you think of it that way, it it really is quite a daunting thing for opposition teams. Although, when you look at the actual results... Not so much. Just to go through a couple of things here. Stuart Lancaster, right? You know, he is the coach of England, and he was the guy who was given the job after the debacle of the 2011 Rugby World Cup, where they were tossing dwarves, getting drunk, and ultimately doing very little on the playing field. Now, he was entrusted to get England rugby back on the straight and narrow. Okay, Good for you, Stuart Lancaster. He had this real stern look about him. He was of the right stock. He was going to do something amazing, and he chose Chris Robshaw as his captain to go all the way through. So I'm just going to give you a couple of things of why England might have failed so terribly. It doesn't take an absolute rugby genius to work this out. Chris Robshaw was given the captaincy after just one cap, so he was very new to the team. He is neither a strong ball-carrying open side, sorry, blind side flank, nor is he a fetching open side flanker. So you've got to think, what is he really? other than just a guy who can talk pretty well on TV. So many questions around that. You look at Sir Lancaster's win ratio against the top five nations in the world, that of course being New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, France, and Ireland, 36%. That's it, 36%. Wins against South Africa in this whole time, zero. Zero, zero, zero. Minus 44 is the points difference against the top five nations. So not only are they losing to the big teams, but they're losing with a fair point of advantage, disadvantage, sorry. In his tenure, he has selected 72 players. Now, if you know that rugby is made with 15 guys running on, that's not a lot of continuity, is it? There's a lot of umming and ahhing going there. Oh, this isn't looking good, huh? Points difference in must-win matches, okay? So now these guys obviously play in the Six Nations every single year, so they have a fair idea of what high-pressure rugby is. This is where they play against all the other big nations in the Mud Island and Europe. So obviously you've got France, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, Italy. Minus 60 is a points difference there when you're looking at must-win matches, okay? So 2013 had a must-win match. They lost at 33 to Wales. In uh, 15, sorry, 2015, they lost to Ireland 9-19. They lost to Wales, 25-28. Again, 2015 must-win matches. And now in the must-win match against Australia, 13-33. They haven't won the Six Nations, but they've come second every single time. They've got all the resources in the world. You know, this is the richest rugby union and the most player-heavy when you think of actual rugby registered people. So you've got to wonder, what is really going on here? Now, there's been eight defeats. for. We spoke about the Fortress of Twickenham. Clive Woodward, Sir Clive Woodward, the whole time that he was coach of that English team, which was a long time. Remember, he lost the 2000, sorry, 1999 
Rugby World Cup with a pretty talented team, but he was retained. After buying out Yanni De Beers' boot in that quarter final, he was retained so he can actually follow on the job and take a whole HS sort of thing. So he was there for a long time. Only four losses at Twickenham. Lancaster, well, he's at eight losses at Twickenham. So no fortress, no uh, participation in the qualifiers, sorry, in the knockouts. Things are not looking good for English rugby right now. Now, there's been a shitstorm around the coach, uh, not only Sir Lancaster, but Farrell, the assistant coach. Many are saying that he is basically in charge here. Uh, some of the players have even said so. There's been a massive fallout in this, saying that Farrell basically has been running the show. He's been making some pretty odd selections. Farrell thought, of course, that Sam Burgess was the answer, the rugby league convert. So he thrust him in there ahead of many, many more deserving guys. What was the outcome there? Burgess was an absolute failure, and the English backline just never, ever had any go forward. Um, many say that Stuart Lancaster is just a front and that Farrell is just creating all these bad decisions. And because he has all the power, the players don't know whether they're coming or going in a certain structure. There's, of, there's often the discipline thing about the English team. Well, they've also been treated like children, apparently. So much so that Rob Shaw has to actually ask for permission to have drinks afterwards, after the game. Now, again, I mean, whether you're a parent or you're a, I don't know, a manager of business, whatever, that's not how you treat adults at all. Imagine that you just played a rugby match, you want to go out and, you know, develop that camaraderie with other players, and your coach says, no, you're not allowed to go out. Go straight back to the hotel or go straight home. There's no drinking, there's no going out. Sure, England have had their misfits in the past and guys punching police officers and stuff like that and um, getting really, really drunk and stealing things. But, you know, you've got to, if you expect your players to act like mature adult and professional on the field, you've got to give them that same license off the field as well. These guys are grown men. They're making their own money. It just seems like there's a whole lot. And I know, obviously, when your team loses, they, all the spotlights come out in the various factors. But it really is worrying that this is what England have put all this time, effort, and money into. But they've got nothing to show for it. Absolutely nothing. Out of the World Cup with a game in hand. But the most telling out of all of the things, and the one I agree with the most, is Graham Henry. Now, Graham, Graham Henry, of course, is the ex-All Black coach who won the 2011 Rugby World Cup. He said that England have been trying to play like the All Blacks, but unfortunately they haven't got the skills or the abilities to do so. It's a good comment in the fact that I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they, they wanted to do. They thought they could just get all these things together and they'll just be the next All Blacks of rugby. But there's so much more that goes into it. And I think this is a trap that many, many teams fall into. And something I want to bring up with Skulk in a second about the, the Springboks is that people look at the All Blacks and they go, that's how to be the best. We need to be like that. The whole thing is, though, it's not that the All Blacks play the best game of rugby in the world. It's the player game of rugby that is just basically indigenous to their way of living. You know, it's it's a cultural thing with the All Blacks. And the reason why they've been so good for so long is because they play what comes naturally to them. You can't expect England, who are a mismatch of players. I mean, they really are. And you've got Farrell's selection policies, whether they're right or wrong. They can't ever, ever duplicate what the All Blacks have done. So where to for England now? Well, other than playing a pointless game against Uruguay, uh, it's just impossible to say if there's any progress and they come out of the back of this. Whether Lancaster will be retained, um, He's already been asked if he's going to consider a position. He did say yes, of course he will, but just not now. Oh, it's just a sad time, a sad time for English rugby. And there's talk that the uh, financial implications will go up to around £3 billion. Now, we're not talking just about the fact that they're going to lose uh, revenue as far as uh, gate tickets from the locals. There is such a follow-on effect when all you think all the big brands, all the big broadcasts, all the big things that are tied to this World Cup for English people. 
up to three billion pounds, they were saying, because the stock market's also going to take a bit of a hit. When you just think ITV spent 60 million pounds, ITV is like, uh, rival to BBC in England. They spent 60 million pounds to get the rights for this. And, uh, the independent, which is obviously a publication over in England, claimed the value of its advertising slots could plummet by more than one million pounds per match. And that's not even considering the loss of income that shop, uh, supermarkets, pubs, restaurants, all the different places, fan parks. People don't really care about rugby now that the team's out. They didn't care about it too much to begin with. But that small pocket of really posh English people, well, they're out of it now. All that good thing for Wales. If you don't want to get involved in the show today, you're most welcome to. Uh, as Duncan reminds me now, as I get to the WeChat messages. Uh, if you want to call into the studio, we will take your call at some stage. Uh, we're great to hear your, your thoughts either on England, the box progress, uh, Argentina, the dark horses, and Australia's dominance. We'll take all those topics. 0861-555-189. Of course, if you are listening to this on podcast, you try to phone that number. That's not going to work. Really for live listeners. Tweet me at follow the bounce. And if you are listening on WeChat, then Cliff Central. Just want to go to a couple of those messages now, actually. Hang on a sec. Ah, oh, there we go. Okay. Um, oh, I can't get through all of these now, unfortunately. I'll, I'm going to play a little clip in a bit, and then I'll recap on that. Duncan, there's just too many. There's just too many. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, just to round off our intro before we get on to Skulk, I did want to talk about the the Irish stutter. Now, Ireland, Six Nations champions, right? But people were saying going into the World Cup that they haven't quite got a dynamic enough game plan they're not going to be exciting enough they're actually quite boring scoring tries and really putting away the opposition could be a worry despite they've got a really really great defense well they breezed through their minnow nations and now they're the first test and all of those concerns are kind of coming home here 16-9 over a teaming italy i mean italy just scraped ahead over canada so there's no guarantees that um that <laughs> italy were ever going to be much much stronger than that but they did. They took them all away. So Ireland have got a lot to think about here. They really do. And um, again, if Sexton drops, then they're even in a worse position completely. All right. Um, okay, we've got Skulk in five minutes, Duncan. All good in that? Let's just try to get to some of these messages, actually. I know it's quite rude to ever um, just, well, just leave people out of the show. It is kind of a show for you anyway. Okay, we're going to get to uh, Nora Max says, Ben, who is better, Pollard? Farrell or Sexton? Interesting question that because you used Farrell. Now, of course, he is not very good at all, and you've used him uh, to be compared with with Pollard and Sexton. Look, Sexton is without doubt the most accomplished of of all the, the, the flyoffs in the Rugby World Cup. You know, when you look at guys who have dominated the tournament in the past, you look at guys like Dan Carter or uh, Johnny Wilkinson. Now, Sexton, he's a guy who's been producing in these conditions for so long now. Uh, very, very good record, solid kicker. Um, he's been stabbed before as well, so you know, he's also quite tough. Yeah, that story's come out again. So, I would say he was probably more of an asset than Dan Carter is right now. So, Norman Mac, if you're looking at a guy who's going to be the top fly off, Johnny Sexton, I would put a lot of money on that guy. Um, next up, Sonato. Ben, what does England do now? I heard in Supersport they spoke about building a team for 2019, but does this happen with players or must Stuart Lancaster start, Lancaster start all over again if you'll have a job? Now, so now that's, that's a pretty good point because, again, to reference that initial thing that I said to you about Clive Woodward, he bowed out of the 1999 Rugby World Cup, and he, well, it was it was a lot of shame around that, okay, because they lost to Yanni De Beers five drop goals. But 
unlike in South Africa where there's a lot of knee-jerk uh, decisions being made around things, he was given faith in that that team that he was building was definitely going to be something worth uh, carrying through on. But Nick Mallet made a good point. Again, like I say every Monday, you can just hashtag Nick Mallet made a good point and then follow on all kinds of things. The difference is that Woodward had a team made of real, like, blooming superstars that were on the up and up. You look at the team that Lancaster has identified and given a good run for. How do you compare? I don't know. If you just, again, go through this current English team. Farrell is no Wilkinson. Um, Launchbury is no Martin Johnson. Um, Rob Shaw is no Neil Back. Um, Brad Barrett is no Will Greenwood. You can go through match player for player, and there's certain players you want to give another four years to, and there's certain players, current stock basically, that you don't. So I don't think Lancaster's actually assembled the right people. So again, four more years on a pretty dodgy base, is that really a good idea? I don't think so. Sure, there is the idea that you know he basically did inherit a sinking ship, and then with that... Like, what what do you do? He was in the group of death and all that kind of stuff. Many people are siding with them because it's very fashionable on social media to, to be compassionate. So it's only these guys really know the structure. Again, you know, maybe if you weed out the element of Farrell, maybe Farrell is the dark horse here that's creating all the issues. Who knows? You know, there's been a lot of things about the, the whole process of should we select foreign players? You know, if you're going to um, have Armitage in as your open side flanker, the guy's really going to play to the ball, which is what you need for the Rugby World Cup. If you're going to accept that he plays in France, but you still pick him for England, maybe that's the difference. Who knows? There's a couple of things that only England will be able to answer right now. But I don't know. If, if Lancaster, in my personal opinion, hasn't done enough in these four years, like I said, he hasn't even won the Six Nations. If you can't do that in four years with the talent and the resources that England have, then I don't think um, he should stay on. It's simple as that. And uh, I think Jake White will agree because he'll gladly, gladly, gladly take this job. Okay, that's all the time we have for messages right now. But please do carry on and I'll try to fit them in amongst the, the different callers. Duncan, um, will you be able to just get Skulk on the line there while I play your little clip? Good. Okay, well, Duncan gets that on the go. We need to find a little clip here. Oh, no, crap. It's not loading. Okay, technical issues today, unfortunately. I mean, I had some clips lined up. Um they seem to just disappear a little bit. So anyway, just a quick little brief intro on Skulk, Skulk Yonker. Now, Skulk was the head rugby writer for Sports Illustrated magazine before it became, well, just, they didn't redo, uh, renew the licensing. So unfortunately, SA Sports Illustrated didn't carry on. But Skulk was a guy that he would do the big info, the big in- interviews with all the different players and, um, a really, really likable chap. He's now a freelance sp- uh, sports writer and, uh, current affairs man. If I can just press this button over here, the magic of radio will produce Skulk. Skulk, morning. Hello. Hey, Ben. How are you, buddy? Yes. Yes, super. Thanks. Now, Skulk, I'm just going to play with your levels there a bit. So, we're going to talk Springbok rugby with you today, Skulk, because there is a quiet confidence happening around um, the box right now. If you look, of course, just to tee you up properly, played Japan at a terrible team. There was definite cogs that weren't working lost to Japan. We then played a much better team, took on Samoa, thrashed them. This week, I think we still had a very good side. We've had the injuries, we've had the retirements, we've had Victor Matfield's hamstrings not responding to anything. Is it all going in the right direction, or is the kind of opposition making us look better than we really are right now? Skulk? Oh, dropped. 
edged, gone. Okay, well, Duncan's going to get Skulk back on the line. Uh, so, yeah, just get a thing back on Skulk again is that um, here's a guy who is a bull su- uh, supporter. He probably won't admit it, being a Cape Tonian. He's got a big fat beard, so you wouldn't expect it. But, yes, he's a Bulls fan through and through. So if anyone knows about Heineken Mayer's past, uh, Skulk definitely will, will be that guy. He has interviewed him in the past. So just touching on the captaincy before we get Skulk back on here. Now, many people are saying that Skulk Berger should have been given the captaincy, and it's just it's just silly that Freda Priya is now the, meant to be the game-breaker and the leader. But when you really look at what Heineken is looking to do here, he wants a captain that's going to understand what he wants to execute. So, you know, we've obviously in an ideal world, you look at a guy like Skulk and say, he's a merit selection. He's going to play every single game. Um, he must get the captaincy, not Victor. Okay. So he should get it and uh, not Victor. But the whole thing is that Honey Kamea really, really wanted to have a guy that just understands it. So, you know, in times of pressure, it's not about hoping a guy's going to pick it up. In times of pressure, which is the World Cup setting, then you've got a guy who's been through a system. Now, Farida Priya, of course, with Victor not being able to um, play last week, Farida Priya was a guy who, of course, has been coached by Hanukkah uh, Mayer for at least 12 years. So there was the understanding of the game plan and henceforth the captain. Anyway, Skull, got you back. Yeah, you were saying such nice things. I just had to take a moment and like dry my eyes and stuff like that. Well, that's what I do here. It's all about flattery because then that, you know, good things come from it. Scott, yeah. I've, um, lost train of thought actually. Oh, I was going to ask you. Okay. So my opening question. Jeez. Yes. Lost momentum there. Opening question was, are the box on the right track or is the opposition making them look better than they are right now? Um, I think a bit of both, Ben. We, uh, I think we saw, uh, against Japan that we are definitely not on the right track. Um, but, yeah, like you said, in the last two games, uh, yeah, it's a sort of a combination of the two. I think, you know, you do not want to get a wake-up call uh, during a World Cup. Um, but I think if we look back at that Japan game, everything about it was just wrong. You know, the way, I mean, obviously, we didn't expect them to come at, come at us like that. And also the way we played against them, everything was just wrong in that. So, um, and Heineke has a tendency to do this, you know, he sort of, and I almost, it's probably a little unfair, but uh, I almost think it's out of spite, you know, he, he sort of goes like, well, I'll play the way you want me to play, but we're going to lose, you know, and then we do lose, although no one saw it coming against Japan, but, and then he, he'll sit back and like say, well, see, I told you, if, you, if we want to do it your way, we're just going to lose. So... Um, I think, yeah, the Samoa game, we were never going to lose that one. Um, and, 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 and the game against Scotland, sort of a, for me, it's a, yeah, it's like a, I would say like a 60-40 almost. You know, like we, we did some good things. We did some very bad things as well. Um, and they were just never in it. You know, they just don't have the firepower to, to sort of compete against a team like us. Well, exactly. And if you look at that Scottish team, you know, look, I don't think any of us can ever say we know a whole bunch about the Scottish team. I mean, no. Since, no. since the days of Gregor Townsend and Doddy Weir, I don't really know too much about this team. Uh, I, I, I sort of lost them at the, at the Hastings Brothers. That's the last time I played them anymore. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. and, and Scott was never a first choice anyway. So if you yeah. look at the Scottish team, apparently, now this is what I read, it wasn't a first choice team. They made lots of changes. They were quite content with losing. So if we can't put 50 against the second string Scottish team yeah you know you don't want to nitpick but it's not a great thing getting back to that whole thing about game plan you know people talk about the fact that the box are trying to play an exciting game plan and they went into that Japanese game trying to throw it around 
like they played so badly there. There wasn't a single shred of evidence that they were trying to do anything attractive. No, now, but sorry, is there a question? Because I just want to say something about that. It's like you go in there, you want to run these little Japanese eggs off, you know, off the field, but the, then you don't pick the guys to play a running game with, you know. Um, exactly. You know, if you if you're gonna play, if you want to try and run out of the game, you 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 do play a Valileru. You know, you do not play Zane, who's very much a, a like a structure player. You know, mm. you play Pollard, you do not play Lambie. You know, you play. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of examples like that. Yeah, so, it, it was very contradictory. Yeah, yeah, so, and it's 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 sort of like you know we saw the guy counting on his fingers. You know, not exactly sure what he was trying to work out there. But, you know, <laughs> this is the, you know, you, you sort of, you want to trust him, you know, and he's got the, maybe the track record with the Bulls and, and all that. But as much as I want to say we, we've moved on, um, you know, now is not the time for Anika to start trying, like, all kinds of funny shit, you know. Now is the time for him to just stick stick to what he does and, 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 and get the results, especially in these games. That we look, you know, he's done the business in the group stage eventually. You know, mm. I don't think we'll use, well, we'll lose against against America. We'll, we'll probably have a chat about that later. It depends on who he picks. But he's actually sitting pretty quite at the moment. He's sitting, he's sitting pretty. Um, so that whole thing wasn't wasn't the end of the world. But just you know, not through one of the three games. Oh, let's take away Japan. Let's not talk about Japan. But against Samoa and Scotland. I don't really have a clear indication of what exactly it is he's trying to do. You know, I mean, you were talking earlier about the New Zealanders and their style of play. Um, we've got a, a style of play that everyone hates, um, but we haven't exactly seen that style of play on display at this World Cup so far. Well, no, I'm glad you bring that up because this is what I really want to chat to you about today: is that this whole style of play thing. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, if you don't really know too much about cricket and everyone blames the wicket about, oh, you know, we tried a bat, but it just wasn't yeah. coming on the bat. I think people make a lot of this, and a lot of it's just bollocks a lot of the time. Now, Tanikumar talks about style of play a lot, because I think that obviously then clouds a lot of things that should be really addressed. Now, South Africa does have a style of play. Um, genetically, we've got very strong people who run very oh. straight and don't mind contact. Actually, they love contact, okay? Yeah. So... That's our game, whether you like it or not. It's kind of like we need to actually, as a, as a rugby nation, come to terms with what we're playing with here. So when they say we're going back to basics, I mean, that's just a lot of cuck. Shouldn't it just be, yes, we're playing. We, all we want to do is we want to suck in defenders. We want to get uneven one-on-ones where a guy can cross the gain line and eventually create space for our backs. It's not a lot about this whole, oh, we got this game plan, because they haven't formulated shit. They really no, haven't. I can't no. believe that for a second. So, if, <laughs> so no, no matter if we're playing the All Blacks, or we're going to play Scotland, or we're going to play Japan, there has to just be, I'm picking a team where I think is brilliant, of really, yeah. really good players, and we're going to play the situations, because that's how rugby really should be. All this yeah, talk of going back to basics. I mean, I don't yeah, um, you, you let yourself dictate, or you dictate the way you play, by the players you have at your disposal, you know. Yeah. If you, if you, if you, uh, there was a time um, I think, or like Nick Mallet for all the goodies done in the way everyone's handing out recipes for his, you know, <laughs> post-match commentary and shit. Weekly. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the most jerked off man in the country. But the thing is, we he went through a spell there where he did, he did really well, you know, and he won all those tests on the trot and everything. But then, yeah. yeah, and then you sort of. I think you you need to take it up a level, and he's just the kind of a 
guy who didn't want to stagnate, and he, he, he sort of he was looking for the next thing, you know. And he brought in league coaches and what was that, Tim Lane, and all those people to try and you know bring a new dimension into the box play, which was all like fine and dandy. But I felt he sort of had a bit of an obsession, and this was like uh, just after that run, like in in '99, going into that World Cup where the Aussies were the like the world leaders in Aussies and all that, obviously. But the the Wallabies were playing really well with. Stephen Larkham at Fly-Off and, yeah. and Georgie Gregan and, and, and Matt Burke and Chris Latham and all those acts. Um, and Mallet sort of developed like an obsession with, with, with these acts and the way they played, you know. So he tried to get our guys to play the way they did. But his problem was, you know, Honeyball wasn't around anymore, so he was looking for a new Fly-Off. He tried Percy, he tried Huffy, you know, and eventually ended up with Bram van Straten because there was no one else who could kick for goal. Um, Plus, he also and, had that really handsome guy, Yanni De Beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had Yanni, but I mean, Yanni, uh, Yanni Besier, you know, not not Yanni De Beer. I mean, that was, <laughs> so, um, so you know, for for all the good that he tried to do in getting us to play this like expansive rugby and like not to sound like Davy, but attacking space and all this crap, he still had Ron van Straten at fly off, you know. So it just he just couldn't pull it off with the eggs he had. Where I think Heineke, if I mean, he's good at 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 playing with the oaks he's got, but then he shouldn't, you know, there shouldn't be a big sh- song and dance about it, you know. This there should be. I mean, I had to bring this up, but Jake White didn't apologise for the way he played, you know. No. He didn't have a world beater ten. He had an okay number ten. I mean, Bruce James was great, but he wasn't, you know, he's not a legend of the game by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, but but Jake built his game around. The kicking prowess of of Frida Priya and I mean the lineup prowess of of Victor Matfield, and then with like world beaters like Habana and JP um, at his disposal. So it, yeah, like you said earlier, I mean this it's it sort of I'm tired of hearing about about game plan and, and all this kind of shit. Where if we just if he just concentrate on what he's got um, and and build the way the team play around that, we should be okay. We should be okay for a maybe a semi, you know. Yeah, look, I also think we'll, we'll get a semi against the All Blacks, but again, it's just cutting cutting all this crap out, and then it ties back to my next question to you: is that if we got a good good game plan of just actually being South African players, and yeah. all those folks know what to do, I mean, you give the guys open open field, and they're playing well, they know exactly what to do. The moment you start dicking around with like types of kicks and do this and do that, and then bringing Ruan Pina on, then you've got yeah. issues. So now, yeah, exactly. so now Victor Matfield, who will be the captain when he's fit. Now we just saw Lutiaga and Ivan Etzebeth. I mean, whether it was in the open play, whether it was in the set pieces, they just did amazingly well, right? Yeah. Do you yeah. really want to then break up that combo just so you can implement uh, Victor and what he brings to the game? Look, I saw Pete, uh, Victor. Um, they showed him in the stands quickly on Saturday, and like, firstly, he needs to do something about that hair because it's getting out of hand. It's getting very young for Rebekish, huh? That is, it's bad. It is so bad. And now he's dyed his beard. You know, he's fooling no one. You're fooling no one, Victor. <laughs> no one's buying this. But look, I mean, yeah, we can scream for it for all, for all we want, you know. He's, he's going to play and he's going to be the captain, you know. Mm. And it'll probably be Lewitt, who's arguably been our best player so far in this tournament. Um, who will have to make way. We will have to make way for him. Um, the thing is, I mean, just like we 
people talking about like um, you know, Lewitt and Etzebeth the same way we're talking about uh, Linda and Jesse Creel, you know, um, and the fact that John's out now has sort of made it easier on Heineke. Um, the thing is, I still I still like Victor. Look, he's not the Victor from from whenever he started, or even from like five years ago. But um, we saw against we we saw against the Scots. There were some there were some like discipline issues. You know, I think we conceded like eleven penalties. There were like missed chance. There was there was the whole thing. Sort of the box felt a bit rushed. You know, last pass is just not not going to hand. And and I sort of I sort of. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind Elizabeth and Lutiacher seeing out this tournament. I wouldn't. But um, I don't have the world's biggest problem with Victor being there. You know, um, just because he's sort of, you know, he is a good captain. Look, he's no John Smith, and he's certainly no no, no Jean de Villiers. But he's a he's a he's a, out of the lot for me. He's he's the best option we have, my, except maybe for Skulk. But. Um, I just sort of like the fact that he brings a calmness and that he, and then that he, you know, he sort of, because we do have a lot of youngsters there and folks who are, who could get a little overwhelmed by, by, especially us going into knockouts now. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't mind him being there, but I also wouldn't mind, uh, I'm sorry, this is the cuckest answer in the history. It's not but, great, uh, Eskalik. Yeah, this yeah. is, this is very, it's adverse to what you give me right now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so I, I'm cool either way then. <laughs> okay, look, Skog. Now, one last question before we get on to Matt Rowley and the Aussies. Um, mm. Do you think too much is made about this World Cup preparation stuff? Now, we've seen a team like England who have been analysing everything, and now they're out. Uh, you know, you look at a team like Argentina, they're just having a jaw, and they're looking so good. Do you think, yeah. do you think that too much is, is made about, like, oh, we're going to do this for the conditions, this guy's going to be good, and we're going to do this, this, and that? Is it not just like do well at the breakdown, tackle everything that moves, and just kick your points? I mean, yeah, is it too I mean, much more than that? These guys are making out here. No, I think Japan showed that you can, with a bit of preparation, you know, cause the old upset um, or two. Um, but it it still comes down to the players having to do the job when they're on the field. You can you can you can prepare all you want, and, and when they run out and they're absolute dog shit against the likes of Wales and, and Australia, you know, then there's no excuse. Um, but, yeah, I mean, England's just gone about this whole thing the wrong way, uh, and now, I mean, they fucked it. They're, and they, they're hosting a karaoke party at their house and they can't sing, you know? It sucks. <laughs> it sucks for them. Uh, it's got, oh. Thanks so much. I'm going to have to pinch you off there. Um, but if you want to find more of Skulk during the World Cup, you, Skulk, you're mostly just watching the SA games, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just watching a bit. But well, I'm following the Japanese now with great, with great, yeah. with great interest. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, at Skulk Yonker on uh, on Twitter. Hey, Skulk. Yeah. S C H A L K. What? Sorry, J O N K E R. There we go. Skulk Yonker, man. Thanks for chatting. Okay, Ben. Speak to you soon. Okay, we're going to get on to Matt Rowley just to intro him here. While I get that one right, I get that one right course it was a massive massive win for the Aussies and it was a massive massive performance from this man in particular carries well there covered a lot of ground Simmons on the floor helped by Douglas Foley switching the point of attack that's interesting Bill back to Interesting. It is a beauty. And for England now, this is...
major sporting crisis. Matt, I've got to ask, is, has Bernard Foley always been this good or was Saturday just a strange night for him? <laughs> well, he did, uh, and I should say, how's it, fellas, or should I say, konnichiwa? Um, <laughs> you know, look, uh, yeah, Bernard, he, he hasn't done too badly. If uh, if you remember a 2014 uh, Super Rugby title where he stood up like the Iceman, so he does have nerves of steel. Um, th- this year wasn't quite so good, but, I mean, yeah, he finally put it all together, didn't he? And uh, I think he silenced all his critics in one game. Well, it was an incredible display. If people haven't been watching Australia that much, you know, you'd look at a few games here and there and go, okay, goal kicking, not so flash. Uh, the game against Fiji, you know, it wasn't really like commanding. And then suddenly, when the stakes were actually worth kind of getting into, Australia just did everything so well. You guys can now scrum. Uh, discipline's not so bad. Uh, you've got obviously Foley, who directs a pretty dynamic backline. And Genia mm. looks like Genia of old in that he's not falling around and lasting 30 minutes in the field. You know, you're not missing guys like Skelton or Palu to also put in a few minutes here and there as big burly guys. It's really, mm. really impressive. Like, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm envious, but this Aussie team right now is, is suddenly, th- this is the one that's really doing well. Yeah, well, I mean, look, look, you know, one swallow doesn't a summer make, as the saying goes. Um, it's it's one game. I, I think all of us were kind of waiting with bated breath to see what was going to happen. Um, you know, w- would it all pull together? I'd, I'd got to the point where I'd lost all perspective. I couldn't give anybody any kind of forecast on what I thought was going to happen. I had something in my gut that said, look, if this comes together, I think it could look good. I, I don't think any of us in our wildest dreams thought it, it, it would look that good. In, and as you said, in just about all facets of the game. Um, you know, the scrum had been good this season. Um, we'd given everyone a hard time. Um, but, for, you know, to, to get what we had there, I mean, I think that was, uh, you know, who would have thought, you know, Romain Poit, when we, when the refs got announced months ago, that we just saw that coming as our nightmare. Um, and so, you know, to get the result we did was uh, quite amazing. Oh, Romain Poit. I mean, how this guy stays on. I, I know if English isn't his first language and that might kind of, you know, make him look like he doesn't quite know the rules or how to interact with other humans. But he just, oh, he's useless. And he's just so gutless as well. He can never make a call. Like the TMO yeah. has to tell him what to do. You know, yeah. that, that, but is rugby's first sport? That's the question. That's <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Okay, well, first big question I've got to post to you. Is it now fair to say that Michael Checker is pretty much the right guy after Deans and McKenzie and all that other kind of failed attempts? Oh, yeah. I mean, you've, oh, well, you've got to have it. I mean, you know, this year, so his first year really, I mean, he inherited a, a squad last year. This year is really his first year of, you know, getting his coaching team in place. Um, and he's done a great job of that. Um, I think the only guy he didn't get was Laurie Fisher. I think he would have wanted Fisher in to coach the forwards. Um, but obviously he's got, you know, Larkham and he's got Gray. Um, so, you know, he's, he's got, he's got his team in there. He's had time to work with the players. Um, I don't know if you guys had heard, but even in the super rugby, um, uh, towards the end of Super Rugby, he was starting to have these Sunday sessions where he was pulling players from different Super Rugby teams and pulling them together, especially those guys who weren't going on to the very end. And so, you know, he really started to work with them. So you've got to say this is finally his team. And I think well, we've won what, seven out of eight games this year, um, including a match against the All Blacks. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with the results he's getting. Sounds It sounds smart. You know, it's all about, you know, from a South African perspective, it's like what Jake White did with with his team is that he just managed those guys right. He seemed to get a tune out of certain players. He put faith in the right players and went forward. Looking at Lancaster, it's like he hasn't done that at all. And then he's got Farrell pulling the strings apparently as well. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a like a really clever kind of person to work it out. They get the guys the right fit. 
And I think with Checker, he's the right sort of mixture between hard bastard, drinking bloke, and just good old rugby fashion mind. So if you look yeah. at the guys he has put faith in right now, of course, you know, look, I think any team in the world would pick Hooper right now. I think there's something about that guy. It's just he looks bulletproof. Um, discipline might wane from time to time, but there's a really, really good player. Uh, he, mm. What he's done with Pocock moving to eight, like it's just clever stuff. Watch how these guys go about the game. They are slowing everyone's ball down. They're taking it. They are providing quick for their own. What do you reckon is the biggest turnaround as far as just pockets of play here? You know, we can. This, this could be a very long chat, but just from your perspective, where are the <laughs> elements that they've really, really kicked on? Well, I mean, look, I think it's probably the one that stood out the most on the weekend would, would have to be the scrum because um, that was always our weakness. I mean, we've had, um, you know, we've we've had a great back, back row for a you know a fair while, especially with fast sort of open sides uh, and yeah, in the fetcher role. So that's not kind of new to us. And and having a good back line isn't sort of new to us, um, but it's been a long time since we had a scrum that you would call dominant and that could go to Twickenham and do what it did. I mean, you know, five scrum penalties um, and, you know, completely uh, blew that um, English scrum away. And, and again, you go back to, you know, Checker, he's brought in Mario Ledesma, um, you know, ex-Puma. Yeah, I was about uh, to say, he sounds like an Argentinian at the, scrum at the Waratah. Yeah. Um, and you look at the results. Um, so I, I think that was the big, cause that was, that was everyone's worry here was that, you know, we'd have this fantastic back row, we'd have this great back line and all we'd just be seeing. And you saw England's tactics, which were just, you know, whatever you could do to manufacture a scrum, you know, with knock on high balls that they were just looking to knock on. And, you know, that was their plan A, B and C and, and it just came unstuck. So, I mean, I think that for me, um, he's done a lot. And I think the, the mindset, as you touched on, is an incredible one. How many international coaches, play contact with their teams he gets in there and he gets in the contact section sessions wow. um i don't know how many can you name who do that he's, he's nuts so i mean you know uh, you know there's the spirit in the team the way they're playing together but if you're going to pull out a point of play i'd say it has to be the set piece well specifically the scrum well, it's yeah, it does make it kind of daunting because that has been the Achilles heel for many times with the Aussies. And I think that's, well, if you look at Bok results, um, probably the only reason we beat the Aussies sometimes because we've got a decent scrum on them. Now, just looking oh. in, in the backs, um, on Friday when I was previewing the match, I said if you just look player for player in the back line, England don't stand a chance. It is a good back line. I think there's some really exciting players there. Um, Curtly Beale came on pretty early in the match. And, mm. you know, there's a guy, again, huge, huge amount of talent, but maybe in the head not so great. You know, I, I still believe he was part of that whole um, uh, Quaid Cooper, um, James O'Connor click, which is more about Instagram than mm. actually putting in the time on the field. But mm. he, he is just so, so amazingly talented. And we saw with um, Foley's second try, you know, how he can just link, come in from blindside wings, be open play, whatever it is. Is there now merit that he should be in the team somewhere, whether it's fullback, whether it's, I don't know, wherever there's a position, sorry, wing, not fullback? Well, we'll see. I mean, actually, Bob Dwyer, who writes on our site quite a bit, um, has been pushing for Kirtley to play wing for quite a while because he thinks that's where he can kind of inject. I mean, you know, taking it as given that Israel Folau is going to be 15, sure. which I think he would be in any team any that team. had him on the sheet. Um, uh, so if he's going to be at 15 and Kirtley can't be there, then, you know, why not wing? And I think with Rob Horn, I haven't heard about his injury. Um, it looked like he maybe dislocated a shoulder or, or, or a, um, an elbow there. So yeah. if you, assuming he's out, um, because I think the great thing about Kirtley was he covers so many positions. I mean, you know, he could do 10, he could do 12, he could do wing, he could do fullback. So he was a fantastic bench spot. Um, if he has to, I think, you know, 
well, they'd, they'd probably look at if they were going to start him at the wing. But I don't know. I get the sense that maybe Checker would keep him on that bench cover and maybe bring in um, like a Tamani, um, you know, or a Spate, like a specialist winger, um, and do that. Well, Henry Spate, yeah, because he wasn't eligible for quite a lot of time. Then he finally did, did crack oh. it, and he's been great for the Brumbies. There's a guy that you wouldn't want to be a one-on-one against. He's such a huge impact. So it's oh. interesting you say that because, you know, South Africa got the same issues with what you do with Lutiaga. You know, he's playing, he's in the form of his life, but, you know, would he be amazing off the bench to make an impact? Because when you go into oh. these, these knockout stages, which is the next point I want to bring up with you, is that impact and looking at your match day 23 rather than the 15 becomes a big issue. Um, you know, like, I think the team that Rhea is going to do in the end is the team with impact from the bench. Because if you're coming off in the yeah. last 20 minutes and you're a little bit flat, then it's, it's a real no-go. Just looking in this next match against Wales, you know, again, considering the whole match day 2023 20, thing, what do you reckon their approach is going to be? Because obviously you want to finish top of the pool here. These are the two unbeaten yeah. teams they're going through. Wales haven't got the depth, uh, obviously due to injury right now. Would, would Australia go out for that best 15 or would they still use a stage as late as this try experiment a little bit uh, yeah it's a hard one right so i guess all of us when we thought like the bledisloe cup was potentially up for grabs we just assumed that you know we'd see the a team uh which would include the pooper um to go through you know into that um into that second bledisloe game uh, and uh we didn't um so i think that kind of threw us all a little bit I don't know. In this situation, though, I think that Checker, you know, he said earlier on when people brought up the whole um, uh, bonus point thing, and he kind of said, well, honestly, I didn't even know there were bonus points. Um, you know, his whole bit was, look, we just got to win every game from here on in. Um, and so I I would tend to think, you know, he's definitely going to want to come out of this, you know, top of the group. No one wants to go down that other route. Um, I've only just seen come up on Twitter now that Hooper has been cited for that um, shoulder clear out. Uh, so, you know, we, we may see him get forcibly benched. I don't think that would be a terrible thing. Um, you'd probably have McMahon um, come in, uh, I, I would think, or maybe they, they'd move Pocock to seven and McCowman to eight. Yeah. Uh, I think we'd st- I think we could still do a job there. But I don't know. I, I even check as a hard guy to second guess. Maybe with, you know, he might rest one or two, but I think, he, you know, he really, we need this win. So I think we'd see very close to the, the A team going out there. Okay, uh, just to finish off here, Matt, a very bold question. What do you reckon is stopping Australia getting into this final? If you look at Scotland, essentially, it's going to be the quarterfinal opposition from here. I, I can't see it being Samoa. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I can't see it being Japan. Um, and then from there, you've got probably Ireland in your mix, uh, potentially France, depending on that last game this coming weekend. What, what's, mm-hmm. what, what's, the, what's the big hurdle, considering New Zealand will be on the other side? Well, look, you know, it's it's a nice draw, right? And whenever you're down the side of the draw that New Zealand isn't in, um, that's great news. Uh, but I just think it's the World Cupness. I'm sorry, is, is that a phrase? I guess maybe it is it now. Is. It you is. know, you know, like like France, you kind of say they can't do anything, but it's a World Cup, and God knows what they could come out with, right? Um, so, and and again, Ireland, you know, they've become very. Very clever. Um, you know, they've got a, you know, with Schmidt in there and also Les Kiss, who's the Aussie defense coach that they've got there. They've done a number on us a couple of times where they've picked a couple of key tactics like the choke tackle, uh, or the, you know, the tackle where they hold you up, um, and those sorts of things. So look, they're, they're, they're all stumbling blocks. Um, so yeah, but, but within the team, sort of within ourselves, you know, minus, 
you know, some big injuries, um, and any team could come across that at the moment. I mean, they're traveling well, but it's one game, right? Um, and we'll see what happens. I, I actually think, for example, if you, if we came across each other, um, you know, y- yourselves, uh, South Africa and, and Australia, I think our line out is looking a bit weak. We lost, I think, at least two line outs on the weekend against England, and I don't think England thought they had a great line out. No. Um, and we've had problems with it. So, you know, against Fiji, for example. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that, I think that, for example, is a problem. And one of the things that helped us on the weekend was a bit of field position, which we haven't traditionally done. So if, you know, suddenly if you don't, if you, if your line out doesn't work, it's a very hard game. So, you know, I think the likes of you guys could really, um, give us a problem there, for example. It's very interesting because if you look at all these teams that are doing well, they all have a very fundamental sort of flaw somewhere along the line there. So it's going to be so interesting, but, I think my prediction after watching Ireland yesterday, I reckon it's going to be New Zealand-Australia final. I'm not just saying it because I got you on the line. That is my prediction mm-hmm. going forward. Matt, where can we find more of you during the World Cup here from an, an all-round perspective? And, mate, look, I'll tell you, I'm definitely going to tell you that. But just on that final, let's say it's New Zealand-Australia, I think the one thing is, um, you remember, New Zealand haven't beaten the pooper. So, you know, we didn't unleash the pooper at Eden Park. Um, so, you know, that, that whole A team and we had Quade Cooper at 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think there's a bit of my, maybe some foxing there, um, from Checker where he said, listen guys, you still haven't beaten the A team yet this year. So we'll see what happens. So anyway, if that happens to be the final, I think we've got a show. Um, look, you can get us on, on green and gold rugby, uh, which is uh, green and gold rugby, all one word.com. I know that causes problems in South Africa because you guys are That's sitting there good. going, what the hell? It shouldn't it be gold and green, aren't we green and gold? Look. We, we call it Green and Gold over here. So it's greenandgoldrugby.com, and we're on Twitter and, and Facebook and all the rest of it. Okay, cool. And, um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up, Matt. Thanks so much for your time. Insightful as always. And, uh, yeah, definitely Australia, they will be hated by the English for knocking them out, but it was inevitable. I think Wales can actually be really held responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. All right, but I don't think anyone's crying. No, <laughs> definitely not. I don't think so. All right, Matt, thanks so much. We'll hopefully get you back on the show some stage in the World Cup here, um, especially if it's a SA Australia final. Okay, we're going to take a quick call before we get out here. Duncan, is this William? William, are you there with us? How's it been? Yes. You phoned in earlier this morning, didn't you? <laughs> Correct, yeah. Okay, very good. All right, what, what can I do for you in the last final minutes here? Um, I was just thinking, don't you think that Jesse Peel should be given a chance to play at 15 and maybe shift Billy to the wing? Because um, on Saturday, Jesse, you know, he, scores, he gets very little ball time and very little space to run. So, move to 15 will just give him that extra space. It's look. It's a really good point. I'm glad you actually bring it up here as we're closing off here because JP Peterson, uh, injury concern. And I still believe J.P. Peterson maybe isn't the player he was a while ago. I know he scored four tries in two games. But as a friend pointed out to me, uh, anybody who worked at Builders Warehouse could have scored those tries. The thing about Vili, Vili at 14 is that, yeah, he will do well on the wing. And um, if you saw in the Samoa game, he came into that number 10 channel quite a lot uh, as first receiver. Exactly. Now, if he's blindside wing, you know, these, these guys will chop and change. Of course, it's the left boot to, to Pollard's right boot. I don't think it's a bad call whatsoever. It's just then, do we have Serfontaine at 13? Uh, I would I would put uh, Jan Serfontaine at 13 and keep Damien at 12 then. Yeah. Look, I, I don't think it's a bad plan. I think Valeria is definitely versatile enough to go do that and do it well. Whereas Jesse Creel will shine at fullback. Will he play Super Rugby there? Um, I know Heineken Mayer sees him as a 13. 
Yeah, look, I don't think it's a bad call whatsoever. And I think if injuries are going to play out, obviously you know. And um, Jesse's been struggling uh, defensive-wise on 13, you know. Yeah, that, that was also another concern is will he be able to marshal that 13 choice? And that's why everyone was saying that Jean de Villers is such a big loss. Well, I don't think it's a bad call whatsoever. It's just the obvious, obvious thing is then Luazi and Volvo misses out and people say that he would be the next possible thing if Peterson does fall out. Like, I don't, I don't think, um, Mayor will ever drop JP Peterson. I think he scored all these tries. He's won the World Cup, of course, with 2007. But it's not a bad shakeup. It's not a bad shakeup at all. Thanks so much for the call. Cool. Thanks, man. Cheers. Okay, guys, we have just, yeah, oopsie, we have very little time left. Just a quick little run through of the fixtures for the rest of the weekend as we get it. If you have just joined us, you can catch the whole Rugby Central show on cliffcentral.com or on the Cliff Central app itself. Just look out for it in latest podcasts and you can download it. Tuesday, that's tomorrow, we've got Canada versus Romania at quarter to six and Fiji versus Uruguay at nine. And Wednesday, SA play, the SA team will be announced tonight. That's tonight, Monday nights. Uh, very quick turnaround for the teams there. So we probably will see a bit of a, uh, rotation of a couple of players maybe some players who haven't had a game yet or any sort of real game time yet will come in so SA versus USA that's a quarter to six followed by Namibia versus Georgia at nine and Friday we've got New Zealand versus Tonga New Zealand tuning up for their quarterfinal match either between Ireland or France with that match against Tonga it'll be nine o'clock and Saturday again Saturday is the day of the tournament here there's been so many interesting matches Samoa versus Scotland at 3.30 now Scotland if they win this they go through along with SA as the runners up in Pool B. If they lose to Samoa, then Japan's next game is very, very interesting. We'll get to that in a second. Australia versus Wales, that's a quarter to six. As Matt was saying, that is to decide the winner of Pool A. Going to go with Australia here because they really are a great, good, really, really good side right now. And Wales have had their big injury concerns. England versus Uruguay, that is the most pointless match of both of those teams because England won't want to be there. And Uruguay, well, you know, ugh. 9 o'clock Saturday. Sunday, Argentina versus Namibia. Argentina are going to go through second in Pool C. And they really are just on form at the moment. They're doing so well. And they're scoring some amazing tries. Italy versus Romania will be after that at 3.30. Then we've got the massive one for the weekend. France versus Ireland at quarter to six. Now, that decides who wins Pool D. So whoever loses that match will play New Zealand in the quarters. Um, a part of me is just hoping and praying and whatever for Ireland to win that because we all want to see France versus New Zealand at the quarterfinals. So much that can happen there. And then USA versus Japan. So if Scotland loses Samoa, then Sunday's match, USA versus Japan at 9 o'clock, is going to be very interesting because Japan just need to win that and then they go through. Who would have thought that? Thanks so much for joining me today. Catch the podcast if you missed anything. Otherwise, follow me at Follow the Bounce. I'm sorry I didn't get through to your messages today. We're a little bit rushed. Thanks to our guest, uh, Matt and Skulk. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you next week, Monday. And obviously catch you every single day here on Cliff Central, 6 until 9. You can catch my daily sports cast on the Gareth Cliff Show. Right, that is that. We're going to play out now. Catch you next week. This is cliffcentral.com.